first thing I'd like to do, I want to see if I get permission. So um, I tried to turn the light on earlier, and some people, you know, didn't really care for it. Uh, thing is, these, this light's just, I mean, it's just glaring at me, and I'm just kind of, so uh, I don't know how to turn it off, but if you know the switch, and then it may be that we can bring up some other lights since so we're not sitting in the dark. Oh, you want us to be on the spotlight? No, I want you to be under the fluorescent. Let's just see if we can find something a little... Okay, so that was great. I'd prefer not to sit in the dark to have a conversation. So there must be some... You know, they must do this all the time and something that can just work for us. It's not too harsh. Oh, that, that seemed great! Yeah, let's just see. There's a candle... So that's better. You know, okay. Let me ask a question. Is there anyone here who feels like it's too dark right now? No. Okay, so nobody's saying that. Is this a month? Is it too harsh? Is it okay since it's kind of in the back? Is that going to work? Compromise? Except what's offered. There's some up lights. Over there, I don't know where the switch is. Okay. Oh. Okay. So, okay. So, good enough. I'll. It's fine. All right. Yeah. Yeah, but yes. You know, maybe you should just. Hang on a sec. Oh, there was a fluorescent. Just try something. Okay. All right. You don't have to be able to see up here. You you know then you could like imagine it was. Um, yeah, the Buddha talking. That's right. <laughs> Actually, but think about that. Um, you know, um, because there's all these stories. We don't know how many of them were true or, were, you know, but, you know, there's so many stories that were passed down about people would hear just a few words of wisdom from the Buddha or a talk or something and then would have these great openings and awakenings. And I've always thought of, of back on that that... Um, uh, you know, part of it probably was, it's like, if the stories are to be believed, that you know, he's the Buddha, and it said he had all these psychic powers, and not only have, was he fully liberated or enlightened, whatever that is, but also could really see into people, so really knew exactly what would be the most needed thing to do. So, you know, if the Buddha that was there, was here, you know, it probably would be pretty powerful. I've certainly met teachers, even even some who've come through here, who, um, you know, there's something about, not all, but definitely I've met some, that they, there was just some something palpable about their presence, right? So that was probably pretty, you know, and, I, and my listening was different. And that was the other piece, that if, you know, if you really thought the Buddha was talking, your listening, our listening would be a whole different level of things to come in, you know? But then, 
you know, and so it's often talked about, you know, this actually comes into the mindfulness as a great segue because it's talk about how we sort of miss life because we're just, you know, it's like, well, it's not the Buddha. I'm just, you know, I'm going home. I'm going to walk from here to my car. But if that walk from here to my car, all of those moments, I could really, it's like the Buddha was talking to me if I was that present and connected and insightful who knows what might be, but instead I just miss it. I blow it off because I'm thinking about getting home. And, you know what I'm saying? It's my attitude. It's an attitude shift. So in a way, mindfulness is, is, is um, um, it's, it's the tool. One of the reasons it's talked about uh, so much is because, you know, when we're not, mi- we, so let me just say, what's mindfulness? It's, the definition is given a lot of different ways, but just really simply the way I want to say what it is, I think we all kind of have an idea. It's just, it's the opposite of being what I call being on automatic pilot, which is how we are most of the time. It's actually we kind of wake up out of that and we just know what's happening in a moment. That's a moment of mindfulness. That's all, it's simple. And so a moment of mindfulness is, is not a big deal in and of itself. I mean, it's not like, I don't know, the second coming or something, right? It's just, uh, we just know what's happening in the moment. But there's such a power there, right? And whatever's happening with us, if it's something um, challenging, right? Mindfulness is not a a cure-all for everything. I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. It's not like the goal is just to be mindful. Sometimes it's actually taught in the Dharma scenes. And so, Actually, you can teach it that way, and that's fine. I actually don't object if someone wants to teach that it's all about mindfulness, and that's kind of not only the path, but the goal is just to be mindful all the time, say. That wouldn't be such a bad thing, right? There'd be a lot of power and benefit to that, right? I mean, when we say all the time, I don't know that we, I don't know anybody who's been perfectly mindful, and in fact... um, even in the context of any of you who've done retreats, even in the context of very long retreats, very long retreats, you know, months and months or year or whatever, um, uh, my own experience is it's like you, there's still not perfect, unbroken mindfulness. It gets pretty good. I remember being on a three-month, uh, I forgot how long, I think a three-month retreat once, and I was complaining to one of the teachers. I said, you know, I've been sitting here for a few months now, and all I'm doing all day long is practicing in a way to get my, my steadiness, my concentration, and just to be as mindful moment to moment as I can. And I still can't walk from the meditation hall to the dining hall in perfect mindfulness. You know, there's going to be some woman over there, or i got some thought about the food, or the person that I don't like who's been bugging me that I don't even know, but they just are, you know, or the person I'm really finding, or whatever, it's just something. And the teacher was just great, said, well, it is too much. It is too much. But, um, um, so we take it moment by moment. And we do the best we can, moment by moment, bringing the best we can without getting stressed into, you know, you know, if you're going to really work too hard to be mindful all the time. I don't know. To me, that just sounds dreary. <laughs> you know. Oh, this is on the podcast, huh? <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's not dreary if we can... If, if we, <laughs> Uh, if we can live in a way 
living in a way that's more awake and present, that's not dreary. That's a moment of freedom. <laughs> but what's dreary, really, let's just, I find is, is just having to try and work. And okay, I'm going to try and be mindful. And it's just like when it becomes work. That's one of the reasons why the concentration piece is so supportive and is an important piece. How many of you have, have decided at just sometimes, say, okay, I'm going to really try to be mindful today as much as I can? Right, a lot, of, a lot of people, and some of these aren't raising their hands. And so what happens is you have a sincere intention, and I, even for you, I don't even know. I, I already know what happened. <laughs> we all know what happened. You uh, say, so I'm going to be mindful. And then a few hours or a few days or a few weeks later, you remembered. <laughs> you came out of automatic pilot long enough to remember, oh, yeah. And you re, you know, doubled your efforts. And a few hours or days or later, you remembered again. Right? That's mindfulness when it's not supported by the samadhi, by the stillness in the, of mind. Now, it still has a power in two ways. The more we practice in that way, without even talking about the concentration now tonight, that's all I'm going to say about it, the concentration for tonight, but just on the mindfulness, the more we do it, the habit builds. So, and, w- and the place we can get to is, even without having to make it like a chore, we naturally will remember more and more, number one. So it strengthens the habit on its own. And the second thing is a moment of mindfulness is a... Some people say that's a moment of freedom. I think it's a, pot- it's a potential moment of freedom. So this is what I want to say why I don't think mindfulness is the cure-all of everything. And I have to be careful because mindfulness really is kind of the crown jewel. So it is very hard to overemphasize or overstate the importance of mindfulness and how big of a deal it is. It's because it is as much, it deserves as much attention as it gets. I remember, uh, I think it was one of these, I think it was... uh, I think I've told you guys I did some work in prisons for a while, and I remember one guy walked in, and I started talking. He said, you know, if, if I hear somebody say something about be mindful or how's your mindfulness, be mindful one more time, I'm just going to, like, explode. You want to be careful if somebody in prison says that to you. <laughs> I don't know if he, but, you know, it was just like he was kind of sick of mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. The reason it's so important is when we're not mindful, so we're on automatic pilot, we're just acting, living out the habit of mind, the, the conditioned response of our mind. We don't have any freedom and choice. And whatever way our minds happen to be programmed, depending on whatever situation we're encountering in a moment, we're going to act or react to that however we automatically do it. Right. So, for example, I don't know if you're, say you're in a relationship and maybe your husband or wife or your partner, you know, maybe there's all the good parts of the relationship, but there's the part where, you know, they always do this one thing that just knows how to push your button, say, for example. And um, so it happens again for the 10,000th time over 20 years and you just react, Right. That's a perfect example 
of just being on automatic pilot and just, you know, the, the stimulus comes in and it kicks off the conscious machine, neural pathways fire in a certain way, and this the, it's just the way the mind's conditioned. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just the way your mind's programmed. And whatever, maybe you snap back in that example or whatever happens is, right? So now it may be in some areas of our lives um, when we're on automatic pilot and habitually uh, responding out of the conditioning of our minds, it might not be a problem. It's not like everything's a problem. There might be areas in our lives where it's no big deal. But, but the point is we're just at the effect of everything. We're just caught up in everything. Right? When we start to bring mindfulness in, what happens is we're in that moment we know what's happening so that first thing that happens is say that example of uh, that I just used if the person does the thing that tends to be triggering for you in a moment of mindfulness now you know whoop they just said whatever ah Stomach's tightening up, or whatever, mindful of the body, but you may not, whatever, it, it doesn't matter what you're mindful of, but just the being aware in the moment, you know, getting mad, whatever's happening. That's the first step. Now, depending on a lot of factors, including how strong the energy is behind it, being mindful doesn't mean that you still don't just get caught up in it. It may just be too strong. So just being mindful didn't necessarily, in that example, solve the problem. What being mindful does is it does give us some freedom and choice in a moment to how we can respond. So it may potentially change our reaction. That will strengthen that habit. So it'll, that, that's the whole positive uh, effect. And just by being mindful with what's going on, bringing that awareness to ourselves, the more and more we do that, you know, there's something kind of, I don't really know how it works, I was going to say magical, I don't really think it's magic, but it's just wondrous, I would say, that um, a lot of times the places in us that are wounded places or sticky places or hard places, by shining the light of awareness in there is a big piece sometimes, maybe it's not all, but you know, in therapy a lot of it is just making things conscious sometimes becoming more aware of these aspects. There may be other things that have to be done, but there's something healing just about that. So the mindfulness itself also starts to um, um, untangle those sticky places or the knots uh, of some of the difficult conditioning just by the awareness itself. So there's a lot of different levels that the mindfulness is working on. Um, one of the things I'll say more about next week, but uh, I'll say something that I don't think I'll you really will hear anyone say here, but and I'm not the only one to say this, is that um, sometimes mindfulness is taught as it's the whole practice, it's the goal, as I said earlier. I actually see mindfulness as the practice that leads to right samadhi that we'll talk about next time. It's, it's, it's using mindfulness of breathing, using mindfulness of the body, has all the benefits that we just talked about, and it's the practice that, that leads to right samadhi. If you look in the Eightfold Path, as you work, start with number one and work your way off, now, now they're all working together. But there is, they can also be seen 
as a sequential also. There's both aspects. Sequentially, you know, we got through the morality part, uh, uh, right speech, right action, right livelihood, and then the next is right effort. We're doing it out of order. It will happen in two weeks. Right mindfulness and right concentration. It's not right concentration and right mindfulness. It's right mindfulness and then right concentration. So in that sequence, really, mindfulness is leading. So you can practice mindfulness. So I want to be really clear. If you do nothing but just pay attention to mindfulness in your daily life, in your formal practice, whatever that is, and you don't think about anything else but just using the mindfulness either on some object you give preference to, like the breathing, or just being moment-to-moment as mindful as you can in a general sense with whatever's going on, you're doing great practice, and maybe maybe that's what your practice will look like. It's great. And other ways it's taught, which is the way I practice and teach, is is that it's taught in a way where um, mindfulness is not equated with insight. Mindfulness is the practice leading to concentration and insight. It's different because the way things would tend to get taught here it more is that there's sort of a separation between mindfulness and concentration. And I'm separating uh, concentration and insight and mindfulness being a practice that leads to it. So it's, it's just a different way of the many, many ways it's taught. And, and this is all good. So it's not shouldn't be confusing. As you hear all these different ways that things are emphasized and stressed and taught you'll naturally be drawn to check out one style or another, and you'll kind of move in that direction. And over time, it becomes more and more clear on its own. You'll hear somebody else, and you might be drawn to it, or no, the way they're teaching doesn't fit so much. So don't get confused by all these different ways it's talked about. You can't go wrong with mindfulness. You can't. You can't have too much mindfulness. I don't think it's possible to have a wrong mindfulness. You can have a wrong concentration a diluted concentration. Again, we're going to talk about that next time. That's not helpful. I don't think you could have a diluted mindfulness. I haven't really thought that through, but I can't see how. A real mindfulness. Now, just because... So I want to go back to that the mindfulness isn't isn't, isn't everything. So as important as mindfulness is, if I'm... If I stop, if, if so, if I start to become aware of something difficult in me, you can be aware of that and go through years of not doing anything else and just when it's coming up and feel it and feel it and feel it. And it doesn't mean you're free from it. So, for example, let's just say that there's something you're longing for in your life. Let's just say, I'll use that as an example, right? Being mindful that there's a strong longing in you um, doesn't um, cut the energy of the longing necessarily. It could, just being mindful of it. But it may be that you just go through years. Just matter of fact, uh, my wife once said to me, um, she's a long-time practitioner, done you know months and months long retreats. I actually met her at the end of a meditation retreat. We've been together a lot of years. And a uh, very serious Dharma practitioner. I respect her practice a lot. And she once came back from like a three-and-a-half-month retreat or something, and she said to me, and I didn't know if she was serious or not, she said to me, you know, I'm not sure this mindfulness is, is, is all that great. And, and I said, uh, you're, are you kidding? Are you serious? He goes, well, I'm kind of a little bit 
kind of joking, but there's some I'm a little truth to it. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, you know, do you have to, like, feel everything? And, you know, there was some stuff, like, I didn't know was in there. Now i got to know everything, and i got to feel all this stuff and experience all it and see these parts of myself that I didn't want to know was in there. She goes, maybe it'd be better to just kind of live unconsciously. You go through your whole life, you don't know, except maybe one moment of, oh, shit, before you die, and then you're dead. <laughs> Oh shit, I should have practiced, and then boom, it's over. <laughs> now, of course, that's not, I'm kind of tr- just trying to be a little humorous because, in fact, we all know that those forces are still working on us. If you could go through your life that way and really be sort of that, it's a caricature the way I'm saying it, but be that unconscious, you'd still be back to on automatic pilot all the time, and all, all the things that weren't known and seen and revealed would be working on you. So it's kind of the way it is that the way Joseph Goldstein said, uh, he's told this story in public many times, so it's fine just to repeat it, that uh, he said uh, Upandita, who's a Burmese uh, monk that he's in the Mahasi tradition. Mahasi Sayadaw was a uh, great uh, meditation master in Burma and um, had pointed, so Upandita pointed out to him once that um, he goes, he was on retreat and he had pointed out to Joseph that, you know, you've got these seven defilements or in your mind right now. And Joseph was saying that it used to be that if someone, if he saw or if someone pointed out a difficult place, he would kind of cringe inside. But he said he had gotten to a place in his practice when Upandita pointed it out that um, he kind of got an inner smile because he'd rather see and know than not if it's in there. So it's a great power of the mindfulness that, um, that um, enables us to see more clearly the places where we're clinging, where we're hooked, where we're identified, where we're reactive, where we're craving, all of these things. And then the question is, what's wise and skillful then to, to let them go? And it may be that just bringing the mindfulness itself to whatever's happening. So it is possible that just the mindfulness alone is enough and is liberating. Just to see but ultimately, it's that, it's that deep place of non-clinging. This is a practice that's a liberation through non-clinging. And so if bringing the mind, the reason I'm saying mindfulness is not automatically a, uh, the, the end-all and be-all, because it may be that I bring the mindfulness to what's happening, and then I see, and then the letting go can happen. But sometimes, oftentimes, just the mindfulness alone is not enough power. More is needed. For example, um, Say I'm mindful of, um, this would be an example of using some of the other kind of practices the Buddha talked about out of the Pali language tradition. Um, It may be that, um, say, for example, I'm having a lot of lust for someone. I can make many examples of it. Say that was coming up for me. And it was uncomfortable and uh, whatever. I wanted to try and get some freedom around it. it. If I'm mindful of it, and can see, wow, this is not only what's going on, but it's causing me suffering. And, you know, um, just seeing the suffering of it, sometimes the letting go can happen. But there are other times when we see we're suffering and there's still something not ready to let go. Right? Have you ever experienced that? I've had times when, um, you know, my, whatever, my wife does something. And, you know, and I got mad and reactive. And I know what's going on. I'm mindful, but I'm still kind of just like all 
just, oh, she's, you know, why did she do that? And I'm right, you know, I'm just kind of caught in it. Something else is needed to kind of have a letting go. I see that I'm suffering. Um, so then we might bring other practices in. Like, for example, using my lust example, I might want to do some reflections on um, aging and death and imagine, well, you know, what's the person going to look like when they're 90? <laughs> right? But, that, but we're laughing. I, did, I, I, did, I wasn't trying to get a laugh with that one, actually. I'm surprised that it, but it got a laugh. I mean, actually, that's a, that's a, that's a practice, a practice on impermanence, you know. And actually, it can be very powerful. If you just in that one example, you know, if you, you, we laugh, but think about it, right? You see someone, and it's like whatever, and then you just think, well, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> You'll get a kind of a few good years, and then it's not just them. It's going to be me, too, right? So... Um, that can help. That's something. That's not mindfulness practice. We're doing other reflections. Using that's the point I'm trying to make. But we needed the mindfulness. Mindfulness is foundational. So I guess that's really what I'm trying to say here: is that mindfulness really is as big a deal as we're saying, and it's really kind of uh, it's both the crown jewel, but it's also kind of foundational to everything. And it may not. I am going to stop in a minute and take some questions and discussion. And it may not be enough by itself always. It may not be enough always by itself. That's the important thing. So a few more things then to say about uh, mindfulness. The Buddha actually, uh, so mindfulness is then described in more detail. Have, have, we, have you talked in this group about what's called the four foundations of mindfulness? Mm-hmm. You have? So some people are kind of squinting. So... Uh, it's a, there's actually a whole discourse in Pali. If any of you are interested in the Pali, you don't have to know the Pali. It's called, the word for mindfulness is sati. S-A, it's a short A, so it has an a sound. Sati, S-A-T-I. And there's a, there's a sutta, the sutra, discourse called the satipatthana. Satipatthana means the foundations of mindfulness or the establishings of mindfulness. And there's this real important discourse called the satipatthana sutta, the, the discourse of the sutra on the foundation of mindfulness. And, the, and so the four foundations of mindfulness, this is it's a big, big topic, but if you go sit a retreat here, what you're going to work, they'll systematically work through the four foundations of mindfulness. They'll start with the first, which is mindfulness of the body. And that's actually broken into, it's, it, you know, you're not going to remember all this if you haven't heard it, but there's actually six different practices in there. Mindfulness and breathing is the first. And there's also mindfulness of of the different postures, sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. There's mindfulness of the body in all activities, eating, bathing, going to the bathroom, everything you're doing. And there's what's called four elements, which is seeing the body as these four elements. I'm not going to go into any detail here. There's um, uh, the parts of the body. We actually do some contemplations on seeing, um, you know, Bones and ha- breaking the body down, and that it's hair and teeth and bones, kind of deconstructing the body, muscles, sinew, and that's a whole practice. Not so common here, but I think a monastic practice in Asia more. And then there's the sixth is uh, uh, mindfulness of the body of, of a decaying corpse in nine different stages of decay. So this, once again, that would be sort of for, if you were in an Asian country where they had charnel grounds where people brought the bodies waiting to be cremated. You know, there, some of the monastics may come there. You can't really do it in this country much. If you, people who do it here more do it as 
a cemetery meditation to go hang out in a cemetery, but it's actually on a corpse. And, you know, it's kind of really has you look and see this is where the body's going to end up. Not to make us depressed or morose or anything like that. It's just kind of saying, you know, this is what happens. Old age, sickness, and death. You know, they're called the heavenly messengers. You've heard that, right? The divine messengers. Oh. So, um, the, just another aside here. Um, when the Buddha, before he left home, you know, was, there's the whole story of the Buddha's life, and he was living, he was a prince, and living all this luxury and opulence and everything. And he went out, and it said that uh, the devas, sort of the heavenly beings, they came as these heavenly messengers. So, so these things we're about to say, they're not considered to be um, bad. They're actually considered to be aids to us to come to awakening. And the first one, the Buddha saw um, a very old person, so that's considered, reflecting on old age is considered a heavenly messenger because we need to reflect. It's just what part of life. It's not supposed to make us depressed. It's supposed to bring some lightness and joy in how we live. You know, can we come to some freedom and happiness uh, in the midst of the fact that we're going to get old? Second heavenly messenger is sickness. Third, uh, um, old age, sickness, and death is the third. It's not like, oh, death's so bad. It's not like the messenger of death. They're just considered heavenly messengers, aids that we can contemplate. And then the fourth heavenly messenger that came to the Buddha was then a renunciate, a Dharma practitioner, who he saw who had this serenity in the midst of old age and sickness and death, still had come, managed to come to a place that had sort of transcended the, the normal human condition somehow, whatever that is, and had come to some deep, deeper place of freedom or awakening, or enlightenment. And that was, um, so anyway, those are the four divine messengers. Right? So that's the first contemplation. I know I went through it really quickly because we just only have time to just mention it all. But it's, it's really mindfulness of the body. By the way, that's the reason why breath meditation could be your entire practice because it's just a specialized case of mindfulness of the body. It's a particular experience in the body. And it's as good as any other experience in the body to be mindful of, and it contains all the information you need, plus a few other special uh, uh, attributes that make, make it uh, attractive uh, among the different choices for meditation. It's a good choice for, for, you know, for many people. Right? So breath meditation is just mindfulness of the body meditation. That's the first foundation of mindfulness. The second is what's called feelings. So mindfulness of feelings but it doesn't have the meaning like we normally talk about, like moods or emotions. It's, it has a very technical, which I don't know why it's translated as feelings, but it's the feeling tone. Accompanying any experience is the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality of that experience. So it's the pleasant aspect, it's the pleasantness itself that goes along with my, unpleasantness itself that goes along with my knee pain, or the pleasantness itself that comes along with being in love or whatever. That's the feeling tone. That's the second thing to be aware of. And they're not the same. If I'm paying attention to knee pain while sitting, there's the sensation of the pain. And if I actually think about it, I can notice that it's unpleasant. The unpleasantness itself is the second, or pleasantness or neutral. So we have body, second foundation, this feeling tone. And third are some specific... um, Minds, mental states. Sometimes it's called uh, of um, 
knowing when the mind, so there's a list he gives, but knowing when the mind is uh, concentrated or not concentrated, knowing like if you have a mind of hate or not, or if it's not there, a mind of greed or, or lust or all the, this list, just knowing the states of the mind and the heart when they're there. We're not going to go into the whole list. And then the fourth foundation are what's called mind objects, and it's just, um, it's, it's, it's um, sometimes talked about as what you, by practicing the first three foundations, kind of what you come to realize is the fourth foundation is one way it's talked about. It's, and it's a whole list of Four Noble Truths, which includes the Eightfold Path, Seven Factors of Enlightenment, um, uh, Five Hindrances. There's this list of lists that, you, that, that get talked about, and, and that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. I won't go through all of them. Um, it's what's called six, six sense doors, and there's, they're all in that list. So basically, the, the, the point here is um, don't, don't worry, I just threw that out real quick. That's a lot of time people spend studying in, the, in that, that sutta and discourse on the foundations of mindfulness. There's whole books written on it. What you have to remember for now is, is that um, those are the practices that the, of how to apply mindfulness that the Buddha gave. And it's basically talking about anything that's happening in our experience is not outside of the mindfulness practice, ultimately. We want to expand our mindfulness to include whatever's going on. That's all. So he was just giving us, a, helping us put a handle on uh, what can be m- mindful. And the last thing I want to say is, it's, I really think it's important that it's not necessarily so important that you're being, what you're being mindful of in the sense of I have to be mindful of the right thing in a moment. It's more the act of being mindful in a moment or whatever it is. You can't be mindful of everything happening in a moment, right? There's many places in the body you could put your awareness. There's thoughts, there's sounds, there's emotions. Sometimes it's, you know, but it's just being mindful in the moment um, is the important thing. So, um, you know, you could go on and on talking about mindfulness and that could be all you ever talk about and and that would be fine. But I'm going to stop and um, do you still have a comment or question? Yeah, I guess it's probably so. You know, mindful be, mindfulness. By the way, the reason mindfulness is not the ultimate goal. It's not nirvana. Mindfulness is is a conditioned state, right? It comes and goes. It's it, it definitely strengthens. There's no question about it. As a matter of fact, part of what we're doing is not just learning to be. Uh, mindful or more of the time, but it's the depth of our mindfulness that grows also, and that's something we experience. We're actually just see more deeply, more clearly, ever more clearly. That's the clear comprehension. So it's not only, it's both, the strength of it, the clarity of it, and the uh, frequency of it. The fact that it's a conditioned state is important just to be aware of, Right? The ultimate liberation the Buddha was pointing to is is an unconditioned state. It's not sub, it's it's some kind of liberation past all the kind of ups and downs and back and forth of, of any other conditioned state. That gets in the whole question of what's nirvana, but 
since I don't know, I, I can't tell you. Did you have a question? I thought you might have raised your hand earlier. Okay. Anything else? Yes. So um, when you speak of conditioned state, you mean that we've kind of trained ourselves to yeah. look? Is that what you're saying? Well, what I mean is everything that's happening mm-hmm. in our experience comes about not from nothing. It comes through some kind of causes and conditions. It's dependent. That, that's a big teaching on dependent origination. Mm-hmm. It's basically everything that we can see and feel who we are as beings, the whole world, mm-hmm. comes into being through causes and conditions. And it's understanding the causes and conditions that, that... And so what are the causes and conditions that lead to suffering? And what are the causes and conditions that lead to happiness? And what are the causes and conditions that we can strengthen, even though they're conditioned state, like, like mindfulness, like concentration, like compassion and love... Right? Those are things that can come and go. They're not ultimately, um, they're still subject to the laws of, of just uh, of, of the, the conventional world. So when you say mindfulness is a conditioned state, I guess yeah. I get confused because I see mindfulness as a place of, um, I don't know, awareness. Yeah. Are, are those two interchangeable? No. Awareness and yeah, I mean, it depends on how you use the word, but I would say no, because... Um, no, they're not interchangeable. They're, they're not interchangeable, because the reason that you know that mindfulness is conditioned, which means it, it comes about by conditioned state, it's not like a transcendent, eternal state, because look into your own life. Sometimes you're mindful, and sometimes the mindfulness is gone, right? right. So it comes and goes. Right. It's a conditioned state. It just depends on whatever the circumstances or conditions in a moment that, that cause it to be there. We are strengthening those conditions. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, um, you know, the real ultimate is sort of just transcends mindfulness. You know, what, what, what does a liberated mind look like? You know, that's an interesting question. So awareness is just a, an ever-present state. Well, when you're on automatic pilot, there's still some kind of consciousness or awareness that's there. It's just a different kind of kind. It's more of a diluted consciousness or awareness. We're still aware of things. Uh huh. And so, when you speak of a conditioned mind, then you're saying essentially that um, I don't know. I guess I'm getting confused about that. All it's saying it's it's just a very simple concept around conditioning mm-hmm. is that. Um, this is getting off into a whole big topic of, of what's called dependent origination, mm-hmm. but it's actually one of the considered one of the deepest concepts in, in the Dharma. Um, but maybe what would be helpful is just to define mindfulness for me. Maybe I've yeah. never heard it defined. Well, I, as I said earlier, I would simple. To, I mean, there's lots of ways people will define it in many many ways. I'm yeah. just being very simple and defining mindfulness to mean. Um, Knowing what's happening in the moment, being aware of what's happening in a moment. And that's opposed to being, it's a different kind of consciousness because when you're on automatic pilot, you could say you know what's happening, but you're really caught, totally caught in something. When you're mindful, you you kind of step out of it, not step out of it when you disconnect or distance yourself. You may still fully experience and feel it, but you're aware of what's happening. So if I'm just mad and I'm reacting and someone said something and I'm pissed off, that's different than if I'm just kind of back up for a minute and I'm just mindful to know know what's happening. Oh, I'm angry right now. Wow, there's contractions going on in the body. Wow, I really want to 
verbally lay into this person and I'm being aware in the moment what's happening. The reason I'm saying mindfulness is conditioned, I'm just saying, you know, if the word conditioned hangs you up, it's just that um, why is it that, you know, sometimes we might be mindful and sometimes not? Why is it if we go on, uh, say, in a retreat or if we practice regularly in daily life practice or, you know, whatever we do, that we tend to be more mindful more of the time and we tend to be more, when we are mindful, we're even seeing more clearly than maybe we used to when we were mindful. Because it can be strengthened. So mindfulness is something that's changeable. Mm-hmm. Anything that's changeable is conditioned. It's, it's like it changes. What, what makes it change? Well, it's conditioned. If it gets stronger, it's been conditioned by habit, by practice. That was a conditioning factor that strengthened it. That's all we're saying. So it's like a skill. It's a skill. And this is just a side, but um, is it like when you say being present? Yeah. Sort of stop the tapes that are in the past or you're planning for the future. You're just is that mindfulness in a way? Too? Well, it is because even if the let's just say you're being mindful, whatever that is to each of us, those tapes of the past could still be going. But if we're mindful of it. We're actually in the present. A moment of mindfulness is a moment of being in the present moment because what's actually happening in the, in using your example, what's happening in the present moment is tapes of the past are playing. It's a real different from just being caught in the past and living in the future in the past versus being mindful and knowing that those forces are at work and they're happening. You know, it's just like when thoughts come, you know, when, we, when we're not mindful, we're on automatic pilot, we just identify with our thoughts. And we don't just see that it's just a voice in the head that's, that's, that's just coming. And it's a real different for, for, for you know, someone to sit and just be thinking this. And, that, you know, and, and you, you're not even aware of it, but basically, you're, if, if you thought about it, you're, you, 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 it's just you thinking. That's a real different sense of being mindful of thoughts are coming and going. So I just see the thoughts coming and going, and I don't have to necessarily be identified. And if I'm identified with them, and you can be mindful, and you can be mindful of anything. You can be mindful of um, unwholesome, unskillful states of the mind and heart happening. But if you're really mindful in a moment of it, in a way it's kind of we've stepped out of the identification with it, and we just see that it's just happening. So in a way, a moment of mindfulness in that way is a moment of freedom. So a real pure moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. It's just, it may not be enough to, we need, may need to be more to really uproot the, the forces there. Um, I, I teach music students, and I'm just curious about what you might think of this, but there's a lot of um, habits that happen uh, in certain situations, especially when they're performing. And since I've been doing more of this, I've been trying to incorporate the idea of, of being more mindful about what is actually happening at that, at that moment instead of this default practice. And, and it's, been, it's been fairly successful, mm-hmm. um, even though they think I'm 
kind of strange. But uh, okay. yeah. yeah, but that's kind of interesting because um, um, I'm not a musician, but I kind of have the idea that you want to... So this is kind of interesting. I thought that what what's really what musicians are doing is you, in the beginning, or it, to whatever, maybe it goes for a long time, you want to use the mindfulness so you're consciously setting the proper habits so that when you've reached whatever it is to really master something, to be a master, I thought it was, you're not being mindful, it's just naturally flowing in the proper habits that got in there through the mindfulness, but then you've kind of transcended the mindfulness even, and it's just, you've gone to something beyond mindfulness, which is just the freedom of expression. So maybe maybe that's an analogy. I have to think this through, this analogy, so it may not be exactly, but you know, maybe about living life. We need to use these tools of concentration and mindfulness, all conditioned states. They're not the un- unconditioned. But we use them all to bring us to a place of more and more freedom, and then perhaps, ultimately, even to transcend all of that so that we don't need the tools anymore. And it's just a place that's even beyond the mindfulness. And mm-hmm. I mean, the Buddha did use an important analogy that's actually um, very famous, called the um, simile of the of the raft. And he said, if it's like someone wanted to cross over a body of water, and so they worked very, very hard, and they got sticks and branches and they lashed them all together and they built this raft and then making a lot of effort they paddled across the water and got safely to the refuge on the other shore and then the Buddha said "Um, would it make sense for that person then to say you know this raft has served me well now let me strap it onto my back as I go about wherever I go on uh, about my business on the other shore and carry the raft along with, with me and then the People listening say, well, no, of course, that, that doesn't make any sense. The raft has served its purpose. So then you, even, you let go of the raft. And the Buddha then says, even the Dharma is the same way. It should be used for crossing over, but not for clinging, he says. So eventually, you know, we're transcending everything we're talking about. That, that's the idea. But we, we, we might want to say that and then forget about it because... Um, I don't know anyone that that would claim to be at a place where, you know, they, they don't need the tools. But maybe that's what some. We just want to keep that in the back of our head, so we just keep a perspective on it. Uh, I had an experience a few years ago, which to me is is um, what ex- why I see the mindfulness is so foundational. And it was just, uh, um, I woke up early in the morning, and I was in one of those states where you're very aware, <coughs> the mind is quiet, and you realize that most of the time, you're just not home. <coughs> you're not there. And if nobody's there, you can't get any better, you can't develop anything, right. you can't go anywhere, so there is no more important thing and being present, because without that, right, you're dead in the water. Yeah, there's nobody home. Yeah. It's that simple. I can't add anything to that. So, okay. Well, thank you all. Uh, we just have a few minutes to end. Um,
So I have five minutes till, so we'll do a, a very short um, kind of combined loving kindness, compassion, dedicated of ma- dedication of merit. So I would invite you to um, make, just checking in if you're if you haven't already if you're not already doing so, and bringing your mindfulness, connecting in with the experience in the body and in the heart and in the mind, and just to see your whole experience uh, of being. There may be a lot going on, pleasant or unpleasant. Uh, There may not be that much. And then also to notice um, not only the experience, but we mentioned earlier there's the feeling tone. Be aware if whatever's happening is pleasant, if it's unpleasant, or if it's more neutral. And then you may want to check in and notice how you're holding or being with your experience. Oftentimes, if, it's, if something's happening that's very unpleasant, that's when we get into, we want to get rid of it, we don't want to feel it. We're pushing it away. Or if it's really pleasant, we want to hold on to it, we're clinging. Or if it's neutral, sometimes we just don't get that interested and we tend to space out. See if whatever's going on, you can stay present with it. Um, But also, um, just hold it with a lot of space, a lot of acceptance, sort of a sense of allowing. So it's that place of allowing the experience of your being to, to just show up in the moment. And then if there is something going on, some aspect of yourself or of your experience that you're not able, you can't very easily be present with to allow or let it be, then bring some acceptance or allowing to that place in you also. Just to notice, oh, there's this place in me and it it can't really be at peace with this. So see if we can be at peace with that. That is a piece of the self-compassion, I think. And then, um, please take a moment to reflect that you have... All of us have used our time wisely this evening. And really um, connecting in with that intention that, that brought you here and that you really spent time. We, we um, spent time in s- formal sitting practice and then reflecting on this topic of uh, mindfulness and some other topics
and perhaps some appreciation. You know, it's not an egotistical thing to have some appreciation for the wholesome. And to let that stay and keep you in touch with your intention that keeps directing your energies and your time towards wholesome activities that strengthen the wholesome or the beautiful qualities in yourself. And then finally to acknowledge that um, that when we practice, it's not for ourselves alone, and and that as we often say, it's not it's not possible to practice for yourself and alone. That by making ourselves more wise and compassionate and more loving and more free, that's then what we carry out into all our activities in the world. And so that's a um, very beautiful. Um, intention and motivation um, again to have some appreciation and then to offer up if there's been any so the dedication of merit if there's been any any good qualities and of course there has to have been good qualities uh, even if it's a little bit because that's the way you've you've directed in, in which di- way you've directed your mind so I won't say if I will say uh, for all of the wholesome and good qualities that have come about by our time together this evening, let us offer it up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere be happy and peaceful. And we know there's a lot of suffering in the world, but still sending that wish out that, you know, wishing that all beings may come to an end of suffering. So thanks for your practice, and um, I guess you have some homework so you can reflect about mindfulness, and we'll see you next week to talk about this whole sticky uh, concentration subject.